Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. For this month's Q&A episode, we're talking vegetarian sources of protein, how much and what time to take a creatine supplement, losing weight without a gym membership, recovering and staying competitive as an aging athlete, and the difference between beer and kale. Yes, there is a slight difference, so make sure you stick around to the end for that one. Thank you to everyone who got your questions into me this month. Let's get into it. Okay, so our first question comes from Jen. Jen asked, what are the best sources of protein for people who don't eat much meat? So if you don't eat meat but you aren't vegan, you still can have dairy and eggs and seafood, and those are great sources of protein because they are complete sources of protein. And this means that they contain all of the essential amino acids that your body can't make, or they don't make enough of those amino acids in the correct quantities. And there are some plant foods, uh, quinoa is one of them, that's considered a complete protein because they do contain all of these essential amino acids that your body needs that it can't make itself because it does make a lot of them it's by itself. But plant proteins still lack the amino acid profile of animal products, which is why when you are eating plant-based proteins, you need to make sure you get a variety of them so that you're not missing out on certain amino acids. And it's good to, to look this stuff up to make sure that when you're looking at your diet and the plants that you're eating to make sure that you are getting enough leucine and arginine and all of these things that your body needs to do all of the stuff. It's, it's almost like if you were looking at a sentence, right? And the amino acids were letters in that sentence and you took out all of the a's in that sentence so that would make uh, that would be like arginine take out arginine you don't have any more a's in any of this the sentences you're writing it'd be kind of hard to understand what you were saying so it's kind of like that with your body and the way it uses proteins it needs the right amino acids in the right quantities and it's different for everybody for the most part we know that the humans require a certain amino acid profile. And this profile is present in all animal proteins, but it's not in plant proteins. And then things that, like quinoa that do have all of these amino acids, they're still not as high as they need to be. They're con- technically considered a complete protein, but I really wouldn't consider them a complete protein. So you still need to eat a variety of things. If you aren't vegan, I would say eat some eggs, eat some seafood. It would help you hit all of those numbers that your body can have all of the letters of the alphabet it needs to have to make sentences that it can do stuff with. So think of the sentences as the the ending products of your muscles and the other things that, that protein is responsible for in your body with build, building and repairing and things like that. Um, so if you're not vegan for dairy, we have uh, milk, yeah, yogurt, ke- uh, kefir or kefir, depending on where you're from. It's like a, a drinkable yogurt. Um, you can make it. I made it for a while. Um, I don't care for it that much, but some people really like it. Uh, cottage cheese, hard and soft cheeses. Uh, just remember, if you're going to be using cheeses, they do have a lot of fat in them, so make sure that they fit in with the rest of your calories. Again, fat's not the bad guy, but if you aren't, if you have no clue where your calories are, and you know you need to start eating protein, and you just start eating a ton of cheddar. Almost said a butt ton of cheddar, and I realized how gross that was sounded. It still sounds gross, and I said it. Uh, but make sure that this all fits in with your calories. Uh, for eggs, uh, eat the whole egg. It's got a lot, it's got a lot of good vitamins in there. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of eating egg yolks because of 
the cholesterol in them. But the more that we study about cholesterol, the more we realize it's not so much about dietary cholesterol. It's more about your lifestyle choices. So are you smoking? Are you sedentary? Uh, do you have a family history of heart disease? Do you have a family history of cholesterol? Those are the kinds of things that you would want to to maybe uh, take into consideration uh, addressing those first. Obviously, you can't address your family history, but the other things uh, when it comes to that, uh, and don't worry so much about the cholesterol and the food that you eat. It's, it's not that it doesn't contribute as much uh, as those other lifestyle choices. Um, and the egg yolk has a lot of vitamins in there, uh, so that's good to eat it that way. If you need just pure protein, though, to fit into your macronutrient allotment for the day, uh, you can go with egg whites by themselves. But you don't need to be afraid of the whole egg. But egg whites, if you just need protein, uh, those are a great source there. As for seafood, basically anything that comes out of the ocean, anything that comes out of a lake or a river, it's going to have um, a good amount of protein and be pretty lean for the most part. Now, salmon, uh, mackerel, sardines, other fatty fish, they still have a really good lipid profile because most of the fat is coming from omega-3 fatty acids. And these help control inflammation in the body. And they've been linked to a decreased uh, risk of heart disease. So don't worry too much about the fat in those fish, uh, but just make sure, just like with the cheese, that it fits into your entire day's worth of fat. Uh, as for non-animal source, sources of protein, um, quick list that I found here, and we can talk a little bit about some of these. Uh, quinoa, which we talked about before, it's a grain, it's an, like an ancient grain. Uh, it cooks kind of like rice. Uh, it has, still has a decent amount of carbohydrates in it. All of these plant sources have a decent amount of carbohydrates and a decent amount of fat. Protein is not, for the most part, with most of these, I'm going to mention that protein is not the main macronutrient that makes it up. So it still has to fit in your total diet for the day. So just remember, you're not replacing protein for protein. You're also carrying in some carbohydrates or fat with each of these sources. So you just need to look at what your total diet looks like over the course of the day and make sure that all fits in so that you're not just adding a bunch, a bunch of extra calories, uh, taking in all of these things that you didn't realize you were taking in. Uh, when you say quinoa is a protein, it's really more considered a carbohydrate because carbohydrates make up the majority of the macronutrients per serving. Uh, but it does have a lot of protein in it. Um, lentils have a lot of protein. They have a ton of fiber, which is great. Um, st still, there are beans, so they do have uh, starchy carbohydrates in them. But lentils have much more fiber and protein than most other beans. Uh, chia seed is a great source of protein. It's also a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, eggs, like we said before, um, it, some uh, vegetarians will eat those. Um, I'm thinking more vegan terms here, so like peanut butter, uh, almonds, uh, any anything in the nut family would be a good source. Again, they're going to be kind of higher in fat and higher in calories, but great source of protein. Uh, but vegetables like, like spinach are, show up a lot on lists of vegan proteins, and spinach has a I said really good amount of protein in it uh, per weight. So if you weighed out a pound of spinach versus a pound of steak, uh, since steak still has a good bit of fat in it, technically spinach has more protein per weight, but no one's going to eat a pound of spinach. I mean, maybe some people are. Uh, maybe you put it in a blender and, and, or a juicer or something like that, but the, the protein in that is is good protein. It's not a complete protein, but if you're eating it with a variety of other things, it would help uh, uh, make up for the amino acids that it lacks in. Um, but spinach is a great source of protein. Uh, if you're looking for one that's more of a pure protein that doesn't have as much uh, carbohydrates in it, things like tofu and tempeh, which is like fermented soybeans, those are good sources. I'm not a huge fan of soy, though. So like edamame, tempeh, tofu. So... 
it's all about everything in moderation. Uh, people who hate soy say that it causes uh, you know, peak levels of estrogen to go up and you're at risk for breast cancer if you're a woman, you risk it for low testosterone as a guy. And then on the other side, soy has been linked to low heart, uh, low instance of heart disease in people who consume more soy and all these other good things about soy. So I'd say just somewhere in the middle. Don't go crazy on it, but have some of it. Uh, but just about any whole grain is going to have a decent amount of protein in it as well. So if you look at your whole day's worth of protein and try to, to get in some of these items I just mentioned and then add everything up at the end of the day, you may be doing okay on your numbers and not realize it. But if you have added everything up and you know you're not getting as much protein as you should, then you can go ahead and start looking at, hey, maybe I need to try mackerel or quinoa or something like that. But a lot of times people just want to... Uh, do something to get their protein up, but they don't actually have any idea of what they're taking in for protein in the first place. Um, and then finally, uh, protein supplements. And the reason I'm mentioning this last is because I always prefer people to try to get everything they can through their food before they take a supplement. Supplements are food. Uh, people would call them oh, not real food or they're fake or things like that. They're, they're still food. It's just they're expensive and they don't have the, the fiber and other mi and micronutrients like vitamins and minerals, things like that, that typically come when you eat whole food sources. But there are still good proteins. Whey protein is one of the best uh, bioavailability wise, meaning your body's ability to use it. Uh, egg white protein powder is great too. And then all of the new uh, vegan sources of uh, plant proteins that they're selling now. So, like, uh, there's one of them that's made from like rice protein and pea protein and cranberry protein. I take all of these like seeds from plants and extract these proteins from them um, and make this really, really good, complete protein product. It's just you pay for it. It's expensive. But if you're really having trouble hitting your protein numbers and you're vegan, that would be a great way to get it in. Yeah, so protein powders. I like those better than protein bars because they just put a lot of fillers in protein bars. It upset people's stomach and sugar alcohols and things like that to try to keep them low sugar. Uh, and they just don't really taste that good. But I do have them here and there um, when I need like a meal on the go. Um, I'll use a, a protein bar. I like the ones that are like uh, Quest bars or pure protein. Those ones that uh, they kind of look like a like a smashed bar. They don't have, they're not coated with anything. There's not a whole lot of like chips and stuff filling inside of them. They're pretty much just like a smashed brick of whey protein. Uh, and that's typically what I go for. So there you go, Jen. There's some different sources for protein. Uh, hopefully some of those are, sound like something you'd like to eat. Our next question is from John. John asked, how much creatine should I take and when should I take it? So John is asking this because it's a bit of a joke between him and myself. This is John Taylor from uh, the Love Letters to Lifts episode most recently and then way back in the Strength is King episode. He knows the answer to this. He just wants me to share it all with you. The answer is how much creatine should I take? Three to five grams a day every day. It does not matter when you take it. It doesn't matter if it's a workout day or a rest day. It's just three to five grams a day. It's really simple. People overcomplicate creatine. People think you need to load creatine, meaning you take 20 grams a day for a week, and then you go down to five grams a day as a maintenance dose. And that's just the way that creatine and supplement companies get you to take more of their product and use it up quicker. So you do not need to load creatine. That's not been a proven thing. It never really was. It was just they showed a minor benefit in increasing the creatine uh, total, like uh, 
serum dosage um, of creatine or the left sorry the serum levels of creatines that they that it had reached they said it happened slightly faster but it wasn't enough to say that it even needed to happen so don't load creatine three to five grams a day every day now we'll get totally into creatine one of these days in one of these episodes i really need to do it justice by getting into it brief overview is creatine is used as short uh, for short duration activities so there's this thing called the atppc cycle which is adenosine triphosphate phosphocreatine cycle creatine is part of that cycle the atppc cycle is how your body accomplishes work in the less than 10 to 15 second time domain so think uh, three rep max on bench press or a set of five on a squat or maybe less than five it, you know anything that's going to be around 10 to 15 seconds after that, your body starts using some other things to manufacture energy. But in order to perform mechanical work, your body requires ATP. And the reason why you rest in between sets is so your body can replenish these ATP PC stores, which is why even when you're doing one and two reps, you need to rest like three minutes in between. Because after about 30 seconds, your body only has about half of that, uh, less than half of that ATP PC, uh, uh, or sorry, ATP storage. Uh, revamped and ready to go and then once you get resting up to two and three minutes you have a hundred percent of your atp stores restocked and ready to go for that next uh, powerful contraction so atp is for fast powerful contractions so what do you think happens when you take atp sorry when you take creatine is you do a better job of performing these powerful contractions these explosive movements which is why it's so popular in strength sports and with a lot of athletes now people get afraid when you start taking something because they think well it's like a steroid. It's not a steroid. It's it's barely even. It's considered an ergogenic aid. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would consider if I say performance enhancing supplement, people would think immediately steroids. It's not like a testosterone booster or an estrogen blocker or an anabolic steroid at all. Creatine is not like that. You get creatine anytime you eat red meat. So when you say three to five grams a day every day. And people ask, well, should I take it before my workout? Should I take it before, after I work out or before bed or when I get up? It's like saying, well, when should I time out my steak? I want to make sure that I time out my steak so I can lift really heavy. That's just absurd. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's this total volume of this uh, substrate in your body. And it builds up over time. Same thing we've talked about beta alanine before. I talked a little bit about creatine back whenever we were talking about um, pre-workout supplements. But one of these days, yeah, we'll have a full episode on, on creatine. But for now... So understand three to five grams a day is the studied effective safe dose. People have been on it for years. I've been on it for years. Take it every day. It doesn't make you bloated. Gosh, there's so many things about it. John, you've got me like, like, like I really need to keep this one short so that I can get into the other things here. But um, yeah, I definitely want to go down this road at some point. You knew you would do this, so that's why you asked this question. So thank you, John. That was very helpful. Yeah, three to five grams a day. Doesn't matter when you take it. Just take your creatine. Next, we have Bo's question. Bo asked, what is a good way to lose weight and maintain that weight loss if you don't have a gym membership? So in order to lose weight, we know that a caloric deficit has to be present. Now, how you create that caloric deficit is up to you. You can either diet or exercise or both. So Caloric balance means you are eating as many calories as your body is requiring to do the things it needs to do in a day. Caloric balance going the positive direction, you're going to gain weight, meaning you are eating more calories 
than your body requires to perform this work. So it has to store them somewhere, so it stores them as body fat. More calories than anything, more too much protein, too much fat, too much carbs, too many total calories is how your body is going to gain weight. Now, it also works in a good way if you're trying to gain weight, you're trying to gain muscle, if you're eating the right amounts of proteins, fats, and carbs, and you're on a good uh, exercise program, and you're gaining weight, chances are you're going to be gaining muscle if you're doing things correctly. So, so a positive caloric balance isn't always bad. A caloric balance, just straight balance, means you're not going to be losing weight or gaining weight. If you want to lose weight, you have to be in a negative caloric balance or caloric deficit. This means you are going to be eating less calories than your body requires to perform the things it needs to do in a day. So you can burn calories through exercise. That's one way of doing it. Let's say you worked out for an hour. You did some circuits and some cardio finished it out. Maybe you try to just pack a lot into that one-hour session. You lifted some heavy weights. That burns a lot of calories. You could burn 500 calories. But think about how quick you can eat back or drink back 500 calories. It's really, really fast, which is why there was actually an article that just came out uh, on the CrossFit Journal where they were talking about how people are doing CrossFit and not losing weight. And they're wondering, well, I'm doing this really hard workout. How am I not losing weight? And they talk about how it's all back to diet. You can't out-train a bad diet if you're trying to lose weight. I mean, you can if you're really, really burning a ton of calories, but chances are diet is the best is going to be the best route for you to address it. I always tell people diet is 80 to 90% of what you need to focus on if you're trying to change your body composition, meaning losing body fat or gaining uh, lean muscle mass. So I would say if you don't have a gym membership, I would really focus up on your diet though. So this means knowing what your calories are, figuring out what your macronutrient break, breakdown is going to be. So you know if you need to be taking in 2,100 calories, which I'm just taking a, a guess judging uh, by your your size and your activity level, I would say probably 21, 2,100 maybe. Um, if you're not exercising, probably 21. And then you're going to need to look at how much protein you should be taking in a day. And that typically is you, you take your weight uh, in kilograms and you multiply that, which is, is um, uh, your body weight divided by 2.2. And then you multiply that times like 1.2. That says 1.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. And that's going to give you a, probably the lower end of what you would need for protein. I like it on the higher end. So almost 2 grams of protein per kilo or almost 1 gram per pound of body weight. Uh, for protein and then after that you figure out your fat intake which should be probably about a half a gram per pound that you weigh uh, this is different if you have a lot of weight to lose then we base this off of your lean body mass which means you would need to know your your body fat for that but a rough estimate would be half a gram per pound of body weight again this is not a prescription at all i'm just just giving you some rough numbers here so that's half a gram for every pound that you weigh and that would be your fat and then we take those two numbers we multiply your fat times nine because there's nine calories in each gram of fat we multiply your protein times four and that is your grams or sorry your calories from protein we add those two numbers together and let's say we figured out what your calories were going to be anyway just for your your weight your total calories and we subtract that number out of that so we take your protein your fat out of that and the number that we're left over with is your carbs 
So when I help people find, and then, oh, and then once you find your carb calories, you divide that times four, and that gives you your your carbohydrate grams. I realize as I'm talking how confusing this sounds. I, I just I do this a lot for people and for, and for myself. It it's complicated because it's it's science, and you can get as sciencey as you want with it, or you can just eat a little bit less. It's just if you're not going to have a gym membership, I would really like take the time to dial in and focus up on your diet and weigh and measure things, because that's going to be the way that you're able to to effectively lose weight and then keep it off. And uh, we'll get to the keep it off uh, part in a section in a section in a second. Uh, we'll get to that section in a second where we talk about keeping the weight off, but just for losing it, um, I would really dial in on the diet. So once you find your calories, and we have an equation that we do that with, and we have an equation, like I said, for the protein and the fat and the carbs, then you look at, well, how does my how do my meals fit into this? If I'm prepping my meals, what does this look like? If a meal is being prepared for me, say you come home and there's grilled chicken and rice and green beans and fruit or something like that for dessert, and you look at it and say, okay, I need to eat this much chicken, I need this much rice, I need this many beans, and I can have this much fruit for dessert, something like that. Or, or if you have a dessert, let's say there's cake or it's a birthday party, something like that, uh, and then you can say, okay, well, I've been really good on these numbers. This past week, I've been pretty consistently low on my calories. And I've definitely been low on my carbs today, so uh, I can splurge and have this piece of cake, something like that. That's the best way to do it, and, and it allows you that freedom to splurge here and there rather than trying to just be rigid and not know your calories and say, I'm giving up bread, giving up all sweets. Because that's just, that isn't sustainable. It's it's hard for people to, to eat like that because things come up. And you end up getting uh, in a bad relationship with your diet and you're thinking that certain foods are bad and that's not a good way to lose weight. You have to have this this good relationship and understand that food is enjoyable for a lot of people and that you can enjoy these different types of foods and there's no such thing, I don't think, as a bad food. It's just the quantities that people eat it in and these not so healthy for you foods, you're going to have to eat less of. But you need to know your calories and what you're taking in throughout the day in order to know if it's okay to do these things. Now, when it comes to like birthdays and holidays and stuff like that, I tell people just relax. Like it's one day. It's not going to make that big of a difference. But if it's something that you consistently do, if like you have a, say you like having a beer every evening, we'll get to George's beer question a little bit later. If you have a beer every evening, like look at how those calories add up. If it's a beer that's not like a, a light beer, meaning like if it actually tastes like something other than water, it probably has like 140, 150, maybe 160, depending on how uh, heavy of a beer it is. And that's 160 cal- extra calories every night that you're taking in. So maybe you need to look at that. I tell people when you're trying to lose weight, it's really easy to just do one to two drinks a week, which is always people think is crazy. But if you're trying to dial stuff in, you're not exercising, you really need to look at what you're doing with your diet and get serious about it. When it comes to maintaining weight loss, that's also the best way of maintaining it is to not eliminate one entire food group. It helps you stay focused uh, because you're allowed to have these little things here and there and you're just eating them in more moderate quantities. And then you don't have to go back to eating something. Say you give up bread for a month, you go back to eating it, and you're like, man, I miss this bread so much. I'm gonna eat like all the baguettes, all of them. And then you end up gaining weight, a lot of weight back because you just go crazy when you get back into it. And it happens a lot. Uh, if you don't have a gym membership though, on the exercise end, there's a lot of stuff you can do at the house. I mean, burpees. You ever do f- seven minutes of straight burpees? That burns a lot of calories. It also like burns a bit of your soul while you do it too. It's horrible. But 
you can do circuits of, of push-ups and squats and burpees and V-ups and uh, mountain climbers and skater hops and just, I mean, this is off the top of my head uh, of things that you can do. Uh, and if you just search bodyweight workouts online, there's a bunch of stuff you can find there. Uh, so it's always good to have a combination of diet and exercise because when you're losing weight, if you're just dieting and you're not doing any exercise, you can lose some muscle mass with that. So it's good to do some type of resistance training to make sure your body holds on to the muscle that you have uh, while you're losing body fat. So that would be how I would say you could lose weight at home, maintain that weight loss, all while not having a gym membership. Up next is Jeff's question. Jeff was asking, in regards to aging athletes like LeBron James and his recovery methods, Jeff wanted to know how to stay athletic as you get older and how to maximize recovery and stay injury-free while still competing. So let's start off with LeBron here. I'm not I'm not huge into basketball. I played, and you guys will probably laugh, I played as a kid. I liked a lot as I was a kid. But then when you realize that you're never going to be any taller than like five, six, and three quarters, which is what I peaked at, and uh, you can't shoot very well, but and you're just you're scrappy and you foul out of every game, uh, you're probably not cut out for basketball. Uh, so I went and played soccer after that. But uh, I don't keep up a ton with basketball, but I do know uh, LeBron James, obviously, and I am intrigued by some of the things he does and some of the things he does I don't think are, are very good. And I like some of the stuff his trainer does, and I don't like some of the other stuff, but he's just so so out there. He's such a public figure for uh, an aging athlete that uh, you can't disregard that, that what he's doing is working for him. He's been playing for 15 years. And he still is at the top of the game right now. So what Jeff was wondering is, how, how is he doing it? Well, obviously, LeBron can spend a lot more on recovery techniques than the rest of us. But all of the money in the world can't buy you personal recoverability. And this is individual to you and your DNA. Some people can just recover better than others. And you can use these recovery techniques, which I'm going to talk to you about in a second, to enhance your recovery or your recoverability, your ability to recover from, from exercise, especially intense exercise. But some people are just better at it than others, which is why some people can do all the same things that LeBron is doing and not have the career that he's had. And, and this is outside of just his skill. We're just talking about just purely recovering from games. He spends a lot of time on the court, and he recovers really well, and he just doesn't seem to get that tired. So we'll talk about the things that he does. But... I would say it's, it is very individual. That's, that's the first answer to this question, Jeff. Is that's that's why Jeff was uh, he left me a voicemail uh, and uh, was asked, he had some other things on there about um, uh, you know people were saying that it was you know, possibly performance enhancing things and we won't get into that. And I, I just wanted to bring that up. Some people have accused him of that he's tested all the time. He's he's showed us what his recovery techniques techniques are, and he's just one of those people that come around every once in a while and they're just. They're just different. There's something different about them. So I think that's the first answer to the question, Jeff, is that some people are just genetically able to handle a higher volume of work than other people. When we look in the CrossFit world, we have people like Rich Froning who would train eight times a day. I mean, he would train, eat, train, eat, train, eat. And his recovery was okay. His diet sucked. He was eating just peanut butter and jellies and just pounding milk and wasn't eating vegetables and was always like, grilling ribs and things like like well how is this guy recovering he doesn't he doesn't seem to be eating enough of the right stuff to be recovering and and he was and a lot of this is just his personal ability to recover and the same thing with LeBron now LeBron dials in a lot of his stuff and he just personally can 
can recover better than other people. So let's get into the the things that are helping him to recover outside of just, um, I don't want to say genetics. I, I always hate people using performance enhancing drugs, saying that that's the reason somebody's uh, doing well in a sport or genetics, because both of those seem to be a cop out saying they're not putting in the work because you're either born with it or you're taking these these drugs to enhance your ability at it. You don't get to LeBron's level without putting in the work. So uh, I'll, st- I'll we'll, we can talk about this some other time when it talks to because uh, a lot of times when people see someone who's very strong who's not very big, they instantly say steroids, which steroids don't make you strong they make you recover better um so that's one of the things people thought LeBron was with steroids i i do not think he is so one of the a few of the things that he uses i can get back on track here i use compression a lot after games so it's these uh compression uh, uh sleeves that you put your legs into and it's uh it can it provides compression and it moves the uh, the lymph and the waste the lymph and the waste products from this high intensity exercise of running up and down the court and it moves that around uh, back into the body and moves the deoxygenated blood back into the body better and allows nutrient rich blood to flow back in more effectively and increases this velocity that the blood is moving through the veins and it helps dilate the arteries just for for greater blood flow in that area so there's like these big boots that slide over your entire leg. And are a form of compression. They use air pressure to to dynamically compress different areas of the lower body. And typically, from the articles I read, LeBron uses them the night after and the night before a game. And these things will cost you about seventeen hundred dollars. Uh, but if you are LeBron James, uh, that's really not anything for you to worry about money wise. So. Um, Maybe we could all go together like at the gym and we could get one pair that we could all wear after workouts. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, another thing he does is an ice bath. Immediately after a game, uh, LeBron will take an ice bath. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Some of these studies on them are showing small uh, positive impacts of this. Other ones are showing that it really doesn't help that much, but something seems to work for him. And so he takes ice baths as, as a way that, that he helps, uh, it helps his recovery. He also hydrates really well. There was something about how much weight he lost in a game. It was something crazy, like he lost 16 pounds in a game from sweat or something. That's, that's not true. Um, the goal is to, uh, to be able to try to keep up with your hydration, not get dehydrated and then drink a bunch at the end. So something you'll see LeBron doing a lot is drinking a lot uh, leading up to the game and then during the game and then rehydrating right after it, not just drinking a ton right after it. And also he's drinking things like Gatorade or something with carbohydrates in it to replenish his glycogen stores as he is is performing all of this mechanical work by sprinting and jumping and shooting and rebounding, things like that. So uh, yeah, his, his intra-exercise uh, nutrition, so during exercise, not pre-workout or post-workout, intra-workout uh, and when I say workout, I mean his his sport is is with a lot of working out. He's he's on top of that too, so he doesn't have to recover from as much because he's actually taking care of himself during the game. Um, he also before and after the game he has a good really good diet, so high quality proteins, high quality carbs. Uh, he's not as crazy with his diet as uh, uh, Tom Brady, which that's another whole thing we get into <laughs> of somebody who is who is excelling. Uh, in spite of their terrible diet, um, and his is just not nutritionally not not based in any science at all. It's just his uh, crazy, kooky, weird trainer 
of Brady, which is, gosh, man, I keep getting down rabbit holes. That's a whole other thing we need to talk about. I need to start writing these things down and things we need to get into. Uh, another thing that LeBron does is active recovery. So rather than just stopping right after, he'll do something like riding a stationary bike in the locker room at low intensity after a game. It, it kind of helps, um, s- similar to the compression, moving uh, blood throughout the, the muscles. Uh, that's another way that, that you can do that is through active recovery. So if you don't have those compression sleeves for your legs, you can, after a really intense workout, hop on a rower, hop on a bike, something like that, rather than just laying there in this in this pool of of, of, of just pain after a workout. Uh, try to hop on something and keep moving. Uh, cryotherapy is, by the, is the last thing I, I saw that he uses a cryotherapy chamber, which will get to as low as 290 degrees Fahrenheit, I think is the one he, he gets into, and it plummets really quickly. I can very quickly cool the lower the body's tem- uh, temperature, so it helps you recover a little bit better because uh, after exercise, um, or sorry, the day after, uh, about like this, and your body has a lot of that inflammation left over, from a, a game or a workout, something like that, you can quickly uh, lessen that inflammation by using a cryotherapy chamber. Now, all this being said, inflammation is a natural process in the body, and I don't like messing with it that much if something needs to happen. So if there's inflammation from a workout, that's it actually has to occur for healing to take place. But when you have to play back-to-back games and this is your job, there's some things that you need to do that maybe aren't the best things for your health that are the best things for performance. Uh, so if you want to look into this, uh, if you just type in Kelly Starrett or Mobility Wad and Ice, or uh, it's called, I think the video is called People We Need to Stop Icing. Uh, this is a really good video where Kelly Starrett and another doctor talk about why we need to stop using ice all the time for everything. Um, it'd be great to get somebody on who knows a lot more about that than I do to talk about that sometime. But um, yes, yeah, so these are the the, re- the recovery methods that he uses. And I think, uh, Jeff, that's probably why he's been doing this for so long is because he's not just using a couple of these. He's using all of these recovery methods to try to maximize what he's already good at, which is he's good at recovering from high-intensity work. Finally, the moment you all have been waiting for, George's question, which he asked as a joke. I don't think he thought I would actually get into this or answer his question seriously, but I'm going to answer your question seriously, George, to show that you can't can't throw me off my game here. George asked, what is the difference between consuming beer and consuming kale, and what are the benefits of each? So George seems to think that all I eat is kale, which isn't true. He does see me drink kale and spinach smoothies here and there, but he also doesn't see the amount of of eggs and meat and rice and sweet potatoes and peanut butter and things like that that I eat, but okay, we'll go with kale. Uh, so consuming beer and consuming kale, and what are the benefits of each? So we'll get into the benefits of each in a, sec- in a second. First, I want to talk about the difference between consuming beer and consuming kale. When you look at the calories in a beer, and let me pull up my calories here for kale. So in a beer, like I said earlier, you're looking at, for a, a 12-ounce beer, you're looking at somewhere between 100 and 150 calories, depending on what the beer is. So let's even just say 120 calories, 125 calories for a 12-ounce beer. If you're looking at a cup of kale, that's going to put you back 33 calories, so that means in order to get the same amount of calories, you would have to eat four cups of kale. 
chop, four cups chopped of kale in order to equal the calories you get from one beer. Now, most people aren't going out to kale bars and they're not playing kale pong or uh, they don't make uh, kale bongs <laughs> or uh, you're not playing flip cup with kale. Um, so it's obviously a very different thing to be eating, uh, but it, just for calories, the, the difference is a lot of calories. So beer, a lot of calories, kale, not a lot of calories. But what we talked about earlier is making things fit into your calories. So don't think that you need to eat kale all weekend when you're hanging out uh, at the barbecue. Uh, if you understand what your calories are and know that you can afford to drink a 125 calorie beer, 150 calorie beer, whatever it is, just know that you might have to eat a little bit less of something earlier in the day. Or if you know that your whole week you've been lower on calories and you're okay with expending a little extra calories on the weekend, then go ahead and have a beer. Uh, kale, on the other hand, is a great way to manage your calories because it takes up a lot of space, has a lot of fiber, has a lot of protein, ton of vitamin K. Uh, green leafy uh, vegetables are excellent sources of iron and vitamin K and uh, Fiber, protein, uh, water. There's a lot of water in them as well, so it just helps you stay more. Even helps you stay more hydrated, and uh, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with kale. Uh, there's also a lot of stuff you can do with recipes with beer. But with kale, a lot of people uh, have an aversion to it because it's it's a little bitter. It's a little tough. Um, when you put it in things, it, it tends to get masked if you do it right. Um, putting it in smoothies does not mask it. Anyone who tells you that you can't taste it is lying to you. Um, if it's spinach, you can't really taste it. Uh, I don't mind the taste of things tasting bad. If I'm eating vegetables and if I'm drinking my smoothies that have a ton of vegetables in them, I'm not drinking it because it tastes good. I'm drinking it because I know that I, this is how I get my vitamins. I don't take vitamins. I don't take a multivitamin. Um, I drink my vitamins. I blend up kale and spinach and butternut squash and avocados and coconut milk and avocados and I put it in a big smoothie and it has a ton of vitamin a, uh, vitamin K, uh, good fats. Uh, I'm, I blend it all with water. I don't, don't use milk in that. Uh, so I stay well hydrated. And uh, that's that's kind of like my mid-morning snack where I get the majority of my vegetables for the entire day. Uh, now, I could swap that out for a beer, but I don't think uh, it would be very good if I was walking around teaching a class because I drink this while I teach my kettlebell classes. I don't think I should be walking around class drinking a beer. Um, and I wouldn't be getting all those vitamins from beer. However, there are some vitamins in beer. There's actually um, a decent amount of vitamins in them. Uh, it's got a really good vitamin B content. The vitamin B content is actually uh, similar to wine. And the antioxidant content in beer is actually equivalent. <clears throat> and the antioxidant content of beer is actually equivalent to that of wine. So you have hops in beer. Uh, it's a potent antioxidant. There's a good source of minerals in beer that play a role in various metabolic processes. So it can actually be healthy. It's just you need to have it in moderation, just like everything else. Kale, you don't have to normally moderate people on because you can't eat that much kale to be unhealthy for you. I mean, you there probably is a level at some point because there is with everything, but it would take you a a lifetime of eating a ton of kale to reach those points. With beer, we know there's some not great things about it. But 
there are some good things about beer. Uh, outside of what I just told you, uh, there's certain things in it that play a role in preventing prostate cancer. Uh, there are certain vitamins like vitamin B6, which protects against heart diseases by preventing this buildup of, of different compounds. Uh, and it has a thinning effect on the blood, so it prevents the formation of clots. Um, but also, heart disease has been linked to uh, high intake of alcohol consumption. So it's all about moderate consumption here. Uh, it increases bone density in some studies, helps control diabetes in some studies, prevents anemia, lowers blood pressure, delays aging, prevents gallstones, prevents dementia. Although probably if you drink too much beer, you probably keep yourself uh, acute dementia. <laughs> uh, it improves digestion. Again, but if you have too much, you know it's not a good thing. It uh, reduces the risk of kidney stones. And, and then, of course, uh, helps you sleep a little bit. Now, we talked about sleep before. You should not use alcohol as a sleep aid because it doesn't produce restful sleep. But the alcohol in beer uh, is not so much the thing that's making you sleepy. It's actually, if it's very hoppy, the hops is actually good for sleeping. So it's not so much drinking until you fall asleep. It's the hops in the beer that is helping you produce more melatonin and, and sleep more deeply. So there you go, George. There's a lot of good things about beer. However, it's in moderation, and I would say you need to be eating much more kale than the amount of beer that you uh, drink. Uh, not not you personally. I'm just saying if for people in general, uh, you should be eating more kale than drinking beer. But uh, there are health benefits to both. Uh, everything in moderation, I would say try some kale. See if you like it. Uh, it doesn't have the negative effects that beer has. That's the, probably the biggest difference between the two. But uh, beer is totally okay in moderation. But again, get it to fit in with your calories. But again, you need to know what your calories are. So uh, if you need help with that, uh, George, come see me sometime. We can talk more about this. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. If you have a second, you could leave us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. That would be awesome. If you want to learn more about the Straight Shot subscription program or our Resilient Prehab and Mobility program, you can do so by going to straightshottraining.com. You can connect with us on social media using the handle at straightshottraining and ask us any question you have regarding health, fitness, or nutrition that we can have on our next Q&A episode. Thanks again, and have a great week, everybody.